Okay, choir, you can come on down. Musicians, thank you all. What a great time um, just worshiping. Uh, let, me, let me say something before we get started this morning. We, we came in this morning, and um, the program that we used to, for the slides and everything was a little off. It's deciding to do things a little bit different. And so I know you're probably at some point going to look and say, man, that's not normally like that. That's, and you're going to be aggravated. So don't, let's just get it out of the way. Like, there's no reason to be aggravated this morning at the slides on the screen because thank, thankfully we're not dependent upon slides on the screen for God to move and work. And so uh, we're dependent upon God. And so it'll look a little different. And that's okay. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, I, I want to just kind of let you guys know that our pastor, I'm not the, the uh, senior pastor here. Tony Carnes is a senior pastor here, and he actually is on a much-needed sabbatical. So he's going to be gone for uh, eight weeks, and uh, that's going to give uh, Rod and myself some opportunity to uh, stand in the pulpit. And it's also going to be a great opportunity for, well, first of all, it's great. Let me just say this, and we've been saying this over and over, but it's important for you to understand. This is good. Like, you know, uh, we, we look in the eyes of, of Tony, and we see uh, what's going on, and this is good. This is a good thing for him. But it's not only good for him, it's good for our church. I promise you, when he comes back, uh, God is, is uh, I know, will through this time, will just uh, water the soil of his soul, but also uh, just enlighten him on some things. I know he's going to burden Tony with some things, and uh, some, you know, there's going to be things going on as a result. It's good for our church. Uh, so, so myself and Rod will spend some time in the pulpit, but it's actually going to be a good time for us to bring some people in, some people that many of you know and love. So Donnie McCann will be coming and seeing us, and uh, Richie Allen will be coming and seeing us. And so we're going to use this opportunity to just uh, allow some other people that we know and love and trust to stand here and present God's Word. And so uh, it's, a, it's a good thing. I wanna, um, so if you are visiting with us, I'm the youth pastor here. And uh, I was telling one of the youth leaders that I would be preaching this morning, and she, she told me, she said, well, can you do me a favor? Uh, this past Wednesday night I was preaching, and, you know, I, I, I preached to teenagers, and so uh, I was saying something. I didn't plan. It was just, an, and I, I said, uh, that's not how we roll. And she was like, can you please just say that from the pulpit? Because I think it's fantastic. So in advance, I want to I apologize, or maybe not apologize, or just let you be aware of the fact that uh, I talk to teenagers, and so if I get going good and I sound like I'm talking to teenagers because that's what I do all the time. And uh, so just be prepared. I'm warning you uh, in advance. I've titled this morning's sermon, We'll Leave the Light On For You. Now, some of you, that like immediately when I say that, that might ring a bell. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Tom Bodette and Motel 6 and that catchy phrase, uh, we'll leave the light on for you. But there's a reason why I titled uh, this sermon, We'll Leave the Light On For You. See, Tom Bodette knew something. He, there was this understanding. It was really catchy. It was great marketing. But there was this understanding that he knew that you were coming to stay at Motel 6, that without a shadow of a doubt that you would be there. And so uh, knowing that you would be there, he says, hey, we'll leave the light on for you. I don't necessarily know when you're coming, when you're going to show up, but I understand you're coming. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is something that uh, comes for each one of us, something that everybody in this room is either facing, has faced, or will face uh, in, 
you're going to, from moving forward from here, you're going to be in all three of those categories. So whether you're there right now, whether, you know, you're just in a season where you have faced and you're not facing, you're going to face. And so understand that, that uh, I really feel like uh, God's just leading us in this direction this morning. And so I'm encouraged, uh, or hopefully you'll be encouraged also. We're going to talk about suffering. Uh, but we're going to be specific in the type of suffering that we're talking about. We're going to talk about suffering in, in regards to opposition or persecution and, and just what that means for the believer. And the truth is, is every single one of us uh, encounter this. And if we, if we, if we don't realize that, that persecution and opposition is coming, I think the tendency is, is that when we don't expect it, when we don't uh, know that, that it's coming for us, then oftentimes when we encounter it, we just want to throw in the towel. We want to quit. We want to give up. And so this morning, I hope that we're both, we're both challenged and we're encouraged uh, by God's Word. And, and uh, so I was thinking about just like when we set out to do something, and some of us were like, well, opposition and persecution, do I, do I really want to quit when those things come? And what does it look like? And what is it? And so uh, I was telling this story, I was telling this story this past week and uh, it has to do with Joseph Anderson. And whenever I got done, we were talking, and he, he enlightened me on some of the details that I'd forgotten. It's just a, a fantastic story, I think, that illustrates uh, what happens to us as believers uh, when, when persecution and opposition comes. So we were on our way back from the Sioux trip this past year, and that is a long trip to travel with a bunch of teenagers and, and adults. And so we got this big crew, and we're on our way back, and I can't remember what day or whatever, we were on our way back and we decided to stop and eat some pizza. And whenever JoJo found out that we were going to be eating pizza, I was thinking this morning, this is totally off topic, but I think the last time I preached I used Jacob Anderson as an illustration. And so uh, the Anderson boys are great to have around for sermon illustrations, but JoJo, JoJo, this is what, this is what JoJo did. He said, I'm going to eat 12 slices of pizza. And so what I did was what any good youth pastor would do. I just encouraged it. I'm like, there's no way you can eat 12. And he's like, Mr. Brian, you don't know. I'm so hungry. We had not had pizza. And he's going on and on and on. And so I'm just talking it up the whole time we're in the van. And we get there. And he goes in. I mean, he piles his plate up with pizza. And he's mounted. And, and so I get some pizza. And then I, I get a salad. And uh, I love pepperoncinis. Pepperoncinis are fantastic. I love them on my salad. I love them with my pizza. I love pepperoncinis. Pepperoncinis are great. And so I pile some on my salad. Well, Jojo comes over, and he's at slice 10, I think, at this point in time, which I'm thinking, okay, he may do this. He may do this. And uh, so he's like, what are those? And I'm like, pepperoncinis, Jojo. And they're fantastic. And he's like, oh, I didn't see those. I'm going to get something. So he goes over there and piles up pepperoncinis on his plate, and he bites into them. And next thing I know, he's like, <gasps> and Pepperoncinis really aren't that hot. They're just not. But he was having a hard time with pepper. He's like, they were hot. And so he, he downs his drink. Um, and then when he's done with his drink, he comes over. And he's like, how are you eating those? You're not eating the same one. So he, he's like, eat this. And he gives me one. And I bite off the whole pepperoncini at one time. And he just looks at me like. So he thinks, well, I'm less of a man than Mr. Brian, so I need to eat more. And so that's what he does. He goes and eats more pepperoncinis. And by this time, he is, I'm talking all, he's like 10 shades of red. Uh, the waitress won't bring any drink out. So he goes from drink, you know, he, he's sucking on ice. All that's gone. He goes in the bathroom. He's hanging his mouth underneath the faucet. 
he's going crazy. He comes out and he's like freaking out. He sits down and he's like, Mr. Brian, it's so hot, I'm crying. And he goes like this. And when he does that, I thought I would die. He thought he was dead. He, he literally was like screaming in the middle of this pizza place, and he was dying. So then what he does is he reaches, it gets better. It just continues, like one thing after another thing after another thing. So he reaches over and he grabs a drink of clear liquid, which he thought was water, but wasn't water, it was Sprite. And so then he takes this Sprite and just starts splashing it in his eyes. And then he freaks out, realizing, that's not water. And then he's back in the bathroom with his eyes under the faucet, his mouth under the faucet. He comes down, he plops down in the seat, and he's like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And I'm like, Jojo, you got two slices to go, man. You can do this. He's like, no, I quit. I quit. I'm done. And uh, I think that's kind of an indication of what goes on for the believer sometimes. We set out to do something we know that God has called us to do. He sets us on a path. He gives us a clear mission he gives us a clear assignment. We set out and think, okay, I know God has called me to this, and we set out to do that, and then some opposition comes, whether it be through uh, people, maybe people on the inside, or whether it's through people on the outside, or maybe just the circumstances of life, and then it's just not just one thing, it's one thing, and then it's something else. And before we know it, we're just like, you know what, this is too hard. I don't even know if this isn't something that God called me to anymore, and we're like, I quit, man, with pepper juice and Sprite in my eyes. I'm just like, I'm not eating two more slices of pizza. It's just too much. And so uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to kind of launch into that discussion. And the question I have for you is, is, have you ever been there? Like, that's you. That's your thing. Like, you know, like, how many of you have ever just so clearly heard God speak, whether it was through a sermon or just through some special time in prayer, or maybe through another believer, or you just fill in the blank how it was. You knew without a shadow of a doubt that this is what God was calling you to do. And you're like, man, this is fantastic. Like, God spoke. I heard. This is awesome. This is good stuff. And then what happened is, is you stepped out in obedience, or maybe the first thing that you did was make it public. You went and told somebody, and then somebody just uh, poured Sprite on your, your dreams. Or, or maybe whatever it is, that you came and you faced them, and you're like, well, n- now, like, what's going on? I mean, I, I, I'm launching off into this, and I think this is what God wants for me, but, like, it's not so, it's not so easy. And, you know, for me, I just, to, you know, and we can't talk. I could tell all morning about just all the different ways in my life that, uh, I mean, just from the beginning, when I surrender my life to Christ, and I'm like, this is fantastic. And then all of a sudden, opposition from the very, very get-go. And every time, it seems like I step out in opposite, I mean, step out in faith, uh, there's opposition that, that comes against. Well, okay, well, what's that look like? And so m- maybe for some of you, I was just thinking of some of the conversations I've had with people in this conversation. Maybe it's just as simple as this. God impresses upon you that, uh, that he wants you to tithe. And then, so you do that. You step out in faith. You know that this is what God calls you to do. And you begin to, to give faithfully. And what happens is, is and I've had this conversation, and, and the moment you tithe, your car breaks down. And then if you, had, if you had not tithed, you would have had the money to fix your car. But now that you're tithing, you're sitting there going like, what in the world is, like, what in the world is going on? Like, why is this? I'm stepping out. I know that, or maybe you decided to, uh, and I'm just using literal literal uh, examples of conversation I've had. Maybe you say, I'm going on a mission trip. 
And then your refrigerator breaks down, and all of a sudden you're like, I, I need to pay this, but I've got this going. And then something else breaks down. Or uh, I was thinking about Lauren Bond. I was thinking about, many of you know, she's uh, in the midst of, uh, of the world race. She's, uh, and she just basically just said, hey, for 11 months, pretty much a year, I'm, just, I'm going on mission in 11 different countries. Uh, for 11 months, I believe she's in Cambodia right now. Uh, but I can remember having conversations with her after she started filling people in on what was going on. And well-meaning people, people that love her, people that love the Lord, uh, began to question the, the mission that she was going to do. God made it so clear. If you listen to her, if you, you could hear her story about God made it so very clear that this is what he called her to do, that, that, that it was the world race. But then well-meaning people that love the Lord and love her are like, hey, you know, maybe you should do this over here. I know that you want to go on mission, but this is what you should probably be doing. And all of a sudden now it's like, well, hold on. No, God called me to do, got me to call it. And so here's this, this opposition by people that are well-meaning, people that, uh, that love her. But that's what's going on. Maybe for you it's just stepping out and saying that I know that uh, God's called me to do that. Like you step out uh, in faith to live for God. In the moment that you step out in faith to live for God, all of a sudden people are just reminding you of all your failures, calling you a hypocrite, saying it won't last. I mean, those are things that people told me when I got saved. Those are, you, you know what I'm saying? Like it won't last. Or, or maybe it's just God burns you with some specific thing, and then somebody comes along and just dumps a bucket of cold water on your fire. And you're like, what, what is going on? What is going on? And I've had these conversations where we have a tendency to get caught off guard in those moments. Like, well, we get caught off guard like, well, okay, this is, I really felt like this was God's will, but, I mean, isn't it? Aren't, isn't the path supposed to be smooth? Isn't the path supposed to be smooth when we step out in obedience? Isn't it like, isn't God supposed to clear the way and all the doors just open up and everything just goes in this perfect, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Well, we know that when we look in scripture, but when it comes at us, uh, our hearts and our flesh say, tell a different story. And we're like, well, why is he doing this? Doesn't he understand like, I feel like this is what he called me to do. Why are you making it so hard? Maybe we don't say that, or maybe we do. Maybe we just think it. But the point is, it's like we look at it and say, well, why is this so hard? I'm trying to live for you. So this morning, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. I didn't put the pages on the, uh, on the page on the screen. I did that on purpose. Uh, if you don't know where 1 Peter chapter 4 is, that's perfectly fine. Like, I just wanted to have a moment to say, uh, there was a time when I didn't know where 1 Peter chapter 4 is. And if you have to look in your table of contents, there's absolutely, positively, no shame in that. No shame in that. And if you need to ask the person next to you, where's 1 Peter chapter 4, then don't be afraid to do that. We, we are not perfect by any means, and we don't know everything that there is to know. And so if you don't know where 1 Peter chapter 4 is, praise the Lord. I'm glad you're here, and just find it. And I love to hear the 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 pages of turning through Scripture, so that's okay. So this morning, uh, again, I think that God's going to challenge us in some ways, but He's also going to encourage us in some ways. Uh, you you got to understand what's going on. Uh, typically what we do is we work through books of the Bible. That We don't have time to do that while Tony's gone, so we'll just be kind of uh, launching off into some areas that God's impressed upon us. And so this morning we find ourselves in 1 Peter chapter 4, but we need to, to kind of get some background of what's going on here in 1 Peter 4. 
this was written to a people, Peter writes this letter to a people who had uh, been dispersed. They were uh, in the provinces of, uh, on the outer regions of Rome. They had kind of been just chased out of there. They've run for their lives. Uh, there was much persecution. Uh, you know, there was some persecution that we really don't know or understand in, in many, many ways. I mean, the ruler uh, of Rome in that time, Nero, was, uh, I mean, he, this is what he used to do. We can't talk about all the things he used to do, but we can talk about this. He used to burn Christians alive at night uh, and to illuminate his gardens. He thought that would be great. Hey, I want to illuminate my garden. I think the best way to do that is to burn Christians alive. So that's kind of the, the picture we see uh, in Scripture here and what's going on. And so the people have either seen this personally or they've They've uh, heard about it, and now they understand that, that this persecution is going to reach out into these provinces of Rome. And uh, Paul, through, I mean Peter, through this letter, is going to address those things. And he's going to talk about, okay, well, here's the deal. You've you got to understand persecution is coming. Suffering is coming. He's speaking specifically about suffering, but in regards to, in regards to persecution. And so he's talking about these things specifically. And so he addresses suffering, but he's also encouraging and uh, just talking about how uh, believers, we need to depend upon God's grace and pointing to Jesus uh, in and through all of that. All right, well, uh, before we read, let me just, let me just pray, and then we'll, we'll dive in. God, we are so very grateful for your word. And Lord, I confess my great need for you, um, and we together confess our great need for you. Uh, we're thankful for the Spirit who is able to take a message like this and speak to every heart uh, in ways that only you can. And so we pray that you would do that. Open our eyes to the truth. Lord, open our ears that we might hear from you. And Lord, just give us the strength and the wisdom uh, to take what you show us today uh, outside the walls of this church. Lord, encourage us, challenge us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me just read 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. He says, Beloved, in other words, hey, you are loved. Don't let the suffering that you see in your life, don't let that confuse you. You are, you are greatly loved. He says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you and tests you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or as an evildoer or a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is, the time, uh, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And... If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will, get that, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So you look at that uh, last verse there, verse 19, and we see that God is a sovereign God. And so whatever it is, whatever suffering that we encounter, Understand that it is, passed through the, it is passed through the hand of God. 
And so whatever it is, he's, he's always doing things. But what's best for us? His, his question is like, what's best for them? Like, what, what is the best thing for them? And if it means this, then that's what we'll do. Then that's what we'll do. And so uh, a lot of times I think what happens is we, we reach opposition. We see opposition. And we think, well, this must not be God's will. Because if it was God's will, then it wouldn't be so hard. But here's what I want you to see this morning. It's like, if it is hard... Maybe, it's, maybe we need to stop looking at it as, as this thing that is not God's will, but it's evidence of God's will because he, he lays out the plan right here in verse 12. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised. Don't be surprised. And he continues on later on in verse 12. He says, As though it were something strange were happening to you. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. Don't be surprised when opposition comes. Don't be surprised when persecution comes. We need to expect Opposition. So our first point, we're just going to hit three points this morning. Our first point this morning is expect opposition. Expect it. And we don't go, let me, let me say something real quick. We don't go looking for it. I think sometimes you got, uh, you got bully Christians who are just like trying to create opposition and, and think, well, I'll just, uh, you know, bully my way in here. I like to refer to that. Uh, I've heard it somewhere or read it somewhere, but I love the saying, a spiritual B.O. I think some Christians just got some serious spiritual B.O. And just everywhere. Look, the gospel, the, the Christian message is offensive, offensive enough. We don't have to, we don't have to uh, beat anybody with it. We don't have to shove it down anybody's throat. We don't have to do that. You know, the Christian message is, is you're horrible. You need a Savior. Okay. We don't have to in any way just, you know, condemn people. And so what we want to do is we want to present the truth in grace, in love, but we always hold firm to the truth. And when we hold firm to the truth, we're naturally going to uh, see opposition and persecution is naturally going to come. And so we, we go at it that way, all right? And so understand something, that you have an enemy. That you have an enemy. Later, later here in chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the very word adversary, means enemy. It means oppo opponent. It means foe. Somebody is coming against you. It says, your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And so what we need to understand is that we have an opponent, that we have an enemy. And so he's at work to thwart God's plans. That's his, like he wants to stop the plan of God. And he's always scheming. We'll look at that passage in a little bit in, in Ephesians chapter 6. It says the schemes of the devil. That he's scheming. He's always working to thwart the plans of God. And, and so we can't just be caught off guard by that. And again, if you understand, if we, we understand the mission that the church is called to, but specifically the part that you play in that, that he is giving you an assignment, he's giving you a mission, and the enemy wants to stop that. The enemy wants to stop that. And so tonight, there's a little game going on. All right? There's a little game going on called the Super Bowl. Okay? Uh, surprised? No, we're not surprised. So who's in the Super Bowl this year? The Broncos and the... Okay, good job. The Broncos and the Panthers. And I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan, so I, I'm, I'm pulling for uh, the Broncos. But understand something, that when the Broncos step out on the field, they're not going to be surprised that they have an opponent. 
Peyton Manning isn't going to step out uh, and he's going to run out on the field for the first offensive possession and he's going to get behind the center and he's going to drop back to pass and uh, somebody's coming for him. And somebody is defending all the other players on the field and they are hungry. They are coming after him. Peyton Manning isn't after that play going to come back and go to his coach and like in the middle of the game go over to his coach and be like, Coach, they're trying to hit me. They're trying to hit me. Like, those guys were trying to, and I think they're mad at me. Like, they're coming at me, and they're trying to drive me in the ground. And I was trying to pass it to so-and-so. But, like, somebody was trying to defend him. Like, what? And going to be all upset and sit on the ground and go, no, I just can't. Do, like, I, no. Like, we can't. I can't do this. It's too much. I can't. No. Peyton Manning and the Broncos understand. They're on a mission. What's their mission tonight? To win the Super Bowl. But they have an opponent that's trying to keep them from doing what they are set out to do. And the same thing is true for us. And the coach would look at Peyton Manning and go, you know, he'd slap him upside the head and go, what planet do you live on? You knew, like you knew that when we got here that the Panthers were going to be on the field. We've prepared for this. I've given you, we've gone over this. We've prepared you and given everything that you need to know. Now get out there and run the play. And so that's what, that's what, uh, we can approach it. We're better prepared when we understand and expect that there's going to be an opponent and that he's going to do everything that he can uh, to stop us and to thwart the plans of God. And so we see this all throughout Scripture. I mean, let's just stop and think. When Jesus, last week, Tony preached on baptism. He, we, you know, we had a great baptism service and uh, uh, we spent a bunch of time just talking about baptism and the importance of it. Uh, but in Jesus' ministry, in his life, when we look at Scripture, uh, we see this picture. In, and I just was looking at Matthew this morning. I was thinking how uh, we get this picture of like Jesus was baptized. And when he was baptized, you know, the Spirit of God descended like a dove. And, and the sky cracked open and God says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. You know what the very, verse, the very next verse says? Right after that. Right after Jesus goes public with his ministry. Right after he just steps out in obedience. What does the very next verse say? He goes out into the wilderness and he was tempted by the devil. And so we see this throughout, we see this throughout Scripture. And then let's just be honest. Uh, they killed Jesus. They killed him. Do you think that Jesus faced opposition around every corner? There were people who loved him, absolutely loved him, that loved the message, but there were people that opposed it and hated it. One of the, I believe the greatest missionary in the history of time next to Jesus is Paul. Well, did Paul face persecution? I love this uh, passage. Let me just read you a little bit. It'll be up on the screen. But let me just read you a few verses about some of the, some of the persecution that he faced. It says, uh, it says, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Man, I would, like... Paul's journal just had to be tough. Had to be tough. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. Paul faced persecution. 
Paul faced persecution. One of the greatest missionaries. What if he, what if he bowed to opposition? What if he bowed to opposition? What if he bowed to suffering? What if he bowed to... Then we wouldn't be reading the books in the New Testament that he wrote. And the church wouldn't have blown up like it did uh, in his time. So what we need to do is we need to prepare for the inevitable. And when it comes, that'll better prepare us that we don't quit, that we know what God's calling us to. And so we, what we don't do is we don't live in constant fear that, that opposition is coming. We don't live in constant fear that suffering is coming. We don't live in constant fear that persecution is, is coming. But what we do is we're not surprised by it either. That's why in verse 12, Peter says what he says. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes because it's coming. So we'll leave the light on for you. We'll leave the light on for you because we know that it's coming. We've been expecting you. So when persecution or opposition or whatever it is comes our way, we've been expecting you. This, this past uh, Christmas, my wife got me, a, um, got me a dog. Like, I love dogs. She's not really a dog person. Uh, but it was supposed to be a surprise. And so uh, one, one evening we were talking about a song, and she was like, hey, I want you to play this song for me. So I, I came in. She was like, grab my phone and play the play the song, whatever it was. I can't remember what it was. So I grabbed the, I grabbed the phone, and when I open up her phone, it's in this uh, thread of message from uh, one of her former students who was selling, selling dogs. And both our dogs died last two years ago, something like that, a year and a half ago. Um, so we recently, we had gotten another dog, but like a big dog. A man likes a big dog in the backyard, right, to protect his house. And so uh, we got Rocky. But here, here's the thing. So I open it up, and I see this thread where she's getting this dog, and she's going to surprise me. And she's got it, you know, so she's behind the scenes working all these things. And this was probably a month or two uh, before, before Rocky ever came around. And uh, so I didn't, I, I did what any good husband would do is I didn't say anything. I didn't let her know that I knew. And so I just said, hey, I'm going to have some fun with this. Uh, and so I would just throw comments out there. Uh, we had a dog show up here at the church. And uh, when he showed up at the church, I'm like, oh, this will be good. So I'm like, I take a picture of the dog. I send it to my daughter because my daughter was in on the whole thing. And I'm like, hey, the dog showed up at the church. I'm bringing him home. And she's like, oh, and so I know immediately in that moment what she's going to do is she's going she's to text my wife and say, Daddy's talking about bringing a dog home. Like, what do we do? You know, so then she's texting back and going, oh, he's cute. You know, and, and so this whole time, and I'm thinking, like, I'm already thinking before the dog shows up, I don't know when he's coming. I just know he's coming. I'm thinking about a name already. I'm thinking about what we're going to do in the backyard. I'm thinking about this is good stuff. And so the, the morning that, that Rocky shows up, my daughter had gone to get him. She had been gone a while. I'm like, I know what's going on here. And so, like, I'm texting her and, and really trying to make her uncomfortable. And she's trying to answer, and she doesn't know how to answer. And I say things, and my wife feels like she's hiding something from me. And, like, there's this whole conflict going on, and I'm having so much fun with it. So Rocky comes in. You say, bring Rocky in. Set him down in the living room. He's in this bag, and the bag's kind of boom, boom, boom. And Rocky comes out, and here was, here was the very first thing I said to Rocky. Hey, buddy, I've been wondering when you were going to show up. And my wife looked at me. She called me a jerk. <laughs> which I kind of was. And then she got to live out everything that had been going on, and I got to live out everything that had been going on, and we talked about it. It took her a little while to get over that. It didn't ruin our Christmas, which is good news. Uh, Rocky's the best Christmas present ever. But here's the point. 
I was expecting Rocky. I didn't know when he was going to show up. I didn't know exactly what he was going to look like. I didn't know, but I did know he was coming. And I think that we need to, we're better served and better prepared whenever we understand and we expect that opposition is, is coming. In verse 13 and 14, so we continue reading, it says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And so here we get this picture that, uh, that we're, we're suffering in Christ's suffering. Okay? We're suffering in Christ's sufferings. We're sharing in that. And here's the, the second point, because what we need to understand that it's really not an attack on you. It's really not an attack on you. So point number two is don't, don't take it personal. Don't take it personal, because ultimately, it's not an attack on you. It's an attack on God, and that we're sharing in the sufferings of Christ, and that it's his name. When we take on the name of Christ, then we're going to share in those sufferings. And so we have, we're better prepared when we understand that. And that's really what Jesus is saying in John chapter 15 when he says, look, he says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they, also will, uh, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Listen, but all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they do not know him who sent me. And so here we understand that the, the things that we encounter, the suffering, the persecution, the opposition, is on the account of na- on the name of, of Christ. And so ultimately, the attack is not on us. It's the opposition is against God. And when you switch teams, when you put on the Jesus jersey, the enemy's coming for you. The opposing team is coming for you. And he wants to, he wants to render you defeated. He wants to render us defeated. He doesn't want us to accomplish the assignment, the mission, the goal that God set out for us. And so uh, that's what happens. It's not personal for the Panthers. The Panthers don't hate Peyton Manning. It's the Bronco on the helmet. They want to do anything that they can to keep them from winning. And so that's, the, that's why at the end of the game tonight, what you'll see is you'll see some guys hugging on each other. You'll see some high fives. You'll see some congratulations, to, regardless, of, regardless of who wins and loses. But the truth is, is that Peyton Manning will feel the heat tonight. He's going to He's going to feel the pain. That's going to happen. And so oftentimes, uh, you got to understand, maybe it's not personal, but the truth is, is we feel the pain. We feel the heat. We understand. There are times that our pain feels more real than God's presence does. And that's just the truth. It's not personal, but it feels personal. And sometimes I have to, I have to remind myself all the time. Ask Suzanne how many times I tell her. It's so much easier to tell her than it is to tell myself. It's not personal. Like we can't. You can't take it personal because it's not. It's not. Ephesians 6, uh, 11 and 12 says, put on the whole armor of God. Why we got to put on armor of God? Because we're in a war. Okay, first thing. You need to understand that there's a war going on. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. It doesn't say anything about opposition by people, of people. It doesn't say anything. It, it says that, hey, there's a war going on, but it's not the person that stands in front of you. It's not the difficulty that stands in front of you. It's not the persecution that stands in front of you. That's not the enemy. There's something greater going on here, and you're in a war. And when you're in a war, people shoot at you. When you're in a war, people shoot at you. And sometimes people get shot. And that's painful. 
People that you know and love get shot. That's what's going on. But it's not a personal attack on us. And the battle isn't flesh and blood. But it changes how we see, how we see the battle and how we fight the battle. And we understand that it's not uh, a personal attack on us. And we don't have the ability to, to fight uh, what, what God is explaining to us here in Ephesians. We don't have the ability to do that. And so when the circumstances get to us or maybe uh, an attack from the outside or an attack from the inside, whenever it comes our way, we understand that it's not personal. I mean, here's a perfect illustration of an attack from the inside. So what's going on in Matthew 16 is Jesus begins to tell the disciples, look, here's the thing, guys. It's about to get tough. It's about to get really, really hard. And we're going to a place and I'm going to suffer many things. They're going to kill me. They're going to kill me but I'm going to rise from the dead. And so what does is, what is Peter do in that moment? He calls Jesus off to the side. He's like, Jesus, like that can't be so. Like You can't die. That's not the way. And how does Jesus respond to him? He understands in this moment that Peter's not the enemy, but we have an enemy. There's opposition that stands right in front of Christ. He says, get behind me, Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me. For you are not seeing, you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And so Peter was well-meaning. He really did. He cared about Jesus, and he thought, okay, this can't happen. But Jesus knew what God the Father had called him to. He had set his mind on what was before him, and there was nothing that was going to get in the way of it. So wherever the opposition came from, whatever the enemy would use, whoever the enemy would use, it didn't matter. He was going to the cross because this was the assignment. This was the mission. This was the very reason for which he came. And Jesus wasn't distracted. He wasn't going to throw in the towel. He was set on what was before him. And so what we got to understand is we need to just, when we're, we're facing opposition or persecution, what we got to do is we got to stop and say, and we just got to go before the Lord and say, God, I understand this, this attack, it's not on me. Ultimately, it's on you. God, don't overlook this. This is your battle to fight. It's not mine. It's not mine. But I know that this is what you call me to do. So in the meantime, This is what I'm going to do. And we just step out in obedience and we follow uh, the Lord. We follow the Lord. Verse 19, and our last point. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so we see here at the very end, number one, that God is sovereign and that we entrust our soul to a good father. That he is, he is good. He always has our best in mind. And so we can entrust our souls to the faithful creator. But what do we do? We continue to do good. We continue to do the thing that he's called us to do. And so number three, what we do is we, we respond, but we don't react. We respond, but we don't react. And we'll unpack that a little bit and we'll wrap this thing up. But uh, how do we respond? Well, we see here that it's comp- continued obedience. That we don't react emotionally. That's not what goes on. I mean, think about Jesus on the cross. Did, did Jesus encounter on the cross uh, mocking? Did, I mean, what did he encounter? I mean, he encountered ridicule. He encountered mocking. He encountered everything that you can think of in form of persecution or opposition. He encountered it. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't go back to junior high school and lash back mocking. He didn't lash back ridiculing. What did he do? He carried the weight of it on his shoulders. He actually prayed for them. That's how he 
responded. Now, that's, that's easy to talk about here, but it's hard to do when opposition and mocking uh, comes our way. But that's, that's what he did. He didn't return the mocking. I think a perfect example of this is Nehemiah. And we, we worked through the book of Nehemiah last year. But I think a perfect example of this, and I'm just going to read you a few verses because I think uh, it really just helps us understand practically and just in regards to a personal example of what it looks like. I mean, Nehemiah knew that he had been called to rebuild the wall, right? And so he knew that. Like, God burdened him with that. He had this compassion to, to do something about it. He understood that he wasn't going to be able to do it on his own. So what he did was he just prayed to God. He knew the king would never let him go. And so he's just praised, like, God, I don't know. I feel like you're calling me to do this, and so what I'm going to need you to do is change the king's heart because I don't have the ability to do that. And so I'm going to need you to do that. And then God did that, and he prepared a way. He made a way for Nehemiah to go. So Nehemiah goes, and there he is. And just think, like, everything's great. Like, God gives him a burden. He, he like, just pours his heart out to God. Like, he feels like God's called him to action to do something. And so he steps out. God makes a way, and it's just a happily ever after. No, that's not what happens. There's no happily. There, there is, but understand that opposition comes. So in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, Now when Sanballat heard that they were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. He mocked. He laughed. He ridiculed. That's what he did. And so he continues on. He says, And he said in the presence of his brothers in the army of Samaria, he says, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? And then his sidekick, his scrawny sidekick, says, uh, Tobiah, the Ammonite, was beside him. And he said, yeah, what are they building? If a fox goes up on it, he'll break it down with their stone wall. And so here's how Nehemiah responds in that moment. He doesn't, he doesn't jeer back. He doesn't mock. He doesn't ridicule. He responds. He doesn't react to the situation. What he does is he responds in prayer to God. And he continues on. He says, hear, O our God, for we are despised. And he continues on. He's like, okay, this is your battle. God, this is your battle. This is ultimately, God, this is, this is an attack on you. This is an attack on us. And so what we want you to do is step in because your name is at stake. And, there, and what we need is your strength. We need your power. We need, we need this. Like, we, we can't do this in and of ourselves. And so... Um, we, see, we see how he responds. And some of you, let's just be honest, some of you are so wore out. Like you're so wore out from fighting some battle in your own strength, in your own power, and you've been fighting and fighting and fighting, and God's saying, it's not your battle. Like it's not your battle. It's my battle. Whatever it is that you think that you have the ability to change, guess what? Newsflash, you can't. You don't have the capability of changing someone's heart. You don't. And so just stop and think. Just in your, in your heart, just stop and think. Like who is it that you're like, you're just at your wit's end? And you've tried to enforce your plan, your will. I mean, how did Nehemiah even end up at the wall? Because God stepped in and changed the heart of the king so that he could even get there. And Nehemiah understands, God, I've seen you change hearts. And I, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to lean in on you because you're the only one capable of doing that. And I just think there are some people here this morning who just wore out. And what I would tell you to do, lean on your heavenly father. He's the one. It's his battle. 
It's his battle. We need to be reminded of that. I need to be reminded of that, that it's his battle. And so what do they do? They understand, they pray, they lean on God. In verse 6, we built the wall. What did they do? They prayed, and they continued to do what God called them to do. They said, you know what? I don't know how it all, it's all going to end. I don't know where this is leading, but I do know one thing. I know God's called me to build this wall, and so I'm going to build this wall. That's what I'm going to do. And understand later, you see in verses 10 and 11, that they're, they're still defeated. They're still wore out. They're still beat down. I mean, they're like the strength of those who bear burdens are failing. There's too much rubble. We by, our, by ourselves will not be able to rebuild the wall. And so they're discouraged. They're, they're broken. Even, even knowing that it's God's battle, there's still this. And so, like, it's okay to, to be there. Like, it's okay to understand. Like, it's, it's okay. Discouragement, uh, discouragement and doubt is, is going to come to us. But we need to be reminded that, that it's not our battle. In Romans 12, Romans 12, it says this. It says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so as we find ourselves in these places where we're discouraged and we're beginning to think, is this even possible? Can I even do, like I just, it's hard for me to put one step in front of the other because it's just been too hard for too long. Are you sure, God? I mean, I, I knew at one time, I thought that this is what you were calling me to, but I'm, I'm not so sure. Did I hear you right, God? Like, did I hear you? Did I hear you right? Are you still in this? Do, do you, like, are you still in this? And now later in verse 20, uh, you know, we're reminded again, says that our God will fight for us, that our God will fight for us. And that's kind of the, the, where we're going to end in Nehemiah. But here's just kind of the last, uh, the last point for us, I believe, is important for us to just kind of bring, land the plane. If we're not careful, this is so important. If we're not careful, when opposition and persecution comes our way, when, when that leads to discouragement, what happens is, is this opens the door for us to be disobedient to God. When we begin to bow to the opposition, when we begin to bow to, uh, to the discouragement, then what that does is it opens the door for us to be disobedient to God. See, you have a responsibility. You and I have a responsibility, and that's to be faithful to God, to be faithful to the things that he calls us to do. We, we do his will in our lives. That's what we do. We're his soldiers and we step out and we do what he wants us to do. He gives us an assignment regardless of what it is that we're facing. As hard as it is, as painful as it is, we're, we're commanded to be obedient to our God. If you call Jesus Lord, he calls the shots. And so we have a responsibility to be faithful to God. And the moment that you and I start listening to the Sanballats and the Tobias and the persecution and opposition, the schemes of the enemy, listen, the moment you start listening to those you stop listening to God. Jesus, if he had listened to Peter, just stop and think about this. If Jesus had listened to Peter, he never would have gone to the cross. Think about that. If Jesus had listened to the opposition, he never would have gone to the cross. Never. That's important for us to understand. And so he can't listen to Peter and still go to the cross. And the truth is, is you and I are going to stand before God. 
We are not going to stand before the sand ballots and the Tobias and the opposition and the schemes of the enemy. We are not going to stand before those things. We're going to stand before Almighty God. And he's going to say, I entrusted some things to you. What did you do with those things? And we want to be a people to say that we, we walked in obedience out of love to our King and our Savior and our Lord. That's what we did. And let me just take a moment to, uh, just to kind of brag about the leadership. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about the leadership of this church. I'm talking about um, just Tony and his, his heart and uh, the other pastors and uh, the elders in this church and just their unwavering commitment to be faithful to God. Their unwavering commitment to be faithful to God. I mean, there is this ferocious love a ferocious love for God, a ferocious love for His Word, a ferocious love for walking in obedience and doing the things that, that uh, we believe is important that God calls us to uh, in this place. And so understand that, that when we do that, and not only that, but this ferocious love for you, I mean, that's really, so it's this love for God and this love to be obedient to Christ, but also this love for us that we don't want to sell you guys short. Like, we want you to be a part of building the kingdom. God wants you to be a part. And so we're leading in that direction. We're doing our best to equip you to, to do great things for the kingdom, for things that are going to last. And it's such a blessing. I am so thankful to be able to serve uh, in a place like this where, where people are committed to living out the, and, and walking in obedience to do the things that God calls us to do. And so when God speaks clearly and burdens the leadership in this church, there will be opposition. There will be opposition. There will be those, there will be the sand ballots and the Tobias. From, from the outside, there will be people that look and say, hey, like, that's not right. And they say, well, that's too hard. That's too hard. That's too hard. But I am so thankful for, for a church that says, you know what, we're going to be committed to do what God calls us to do. And I understand this is a hard place to go to church. This is a hard place to go to church. Praise God. Praise the Lord. And so regardless of the opposition, it's not like uh, we set out, to, uh, set out to create opposition, but we understand that there will be opposition. And the moment that we begin to bow to the opposition is the moment that we quit bowing to our king. And that's what we have to understand. That's so important. So when we, like last summer, when we come across a study and we, we start talking about how God defines pure religion as, as what? It's love and care for the widows and the orphans. I mean, that's where J127 originated, this whole Rescue 100. That's been difficult. Many of you have found yourself in a difficult place. But the truth is, is this is what God said. We don't get to pick and pull and move. And God laid it out clearly, and he's called us to be a people who care for the orphans. And so we're going to do that. You know, when, when we read Matthew 28, 19, I mean, you realize that all the missions that we're involved in, the heartbeat of our church is to make disciples at home, across the street, and around the world. Because Matthew 28, 19 is in the Bible, and we believe God meant it when he said it. But understand something. Don't think for a second that that didn't come without opposition. That, that people left this church because, because it was hard. They thought, well, you're, just, you're doing too much. No, we're, we're doing what we believe that we see in, in Scripture that God has called us to, and we want to be a part of that. We want to invest our lives to the building of the kingdom. 
And so it's more important for us, painful, it is, it's painful, yes. It's painful, yes. And understand that there's sleep loss when opposition comes. I, I promise you, there is sleep loss when opposition comes. But it's more important for us to listen to God, hands down. And as painful as that is, it would be more painful to think that we would stop listening to God and stop leading in the direction that we believe that God's called us to. And so just the fact that Tony's on a sabbatical is a perfect example of that. You know, the people, uh, the, the leaders in this church, we're looking at Tony and we're saying, like, like he, needs, he needs some time to rest in the Lord. Like, he needs, there's some things that just need to happen. And as Rod uh, came to me and we started talking and talking with the other leaders and elders in the church, and, like, we just all agreed. I mean, mean, while we were spending our Christmas vacation with our families and enjoying the holidays, uh, Tony did five funerals that week. Five. You wouldn't know that because he's not about to come whining and complaining to you. He's not going to. But we see the look in our pastor's eye. We see the work on top of of preaching and teaching three to four times a week and doing all these things. And he doesn't know any other way than to love uh, passionately. And so that's the way he loves his Lord. That's the way he loves his family. And that's the way he loves this, this fellowship, his faith family. He doesn't know any other way. And so just the simple fact, let me just tell you, just the simple fact that he said yes to the sabbatical goes against everything in his flesh. So understand that, that him, that's, again, just this commitment to saying, okay, Lord, I'll go wherever you lead, and I'm going to be faithful to do what you call me to do. And if that means for me doing, doing something that totally goes against everything in me, then that's what I'm going to do. And so here's this picture. And so as a, as a faith family, we want to come along uh, one another. We wanna, that's, the, that's the life we want to live. But understand that there's... I, and I haven't heard it, but I guarantee you in a room this size with people of this church that there's opposition to, you know, thinking, well, well, I wish I could take eight weeks off. I wish you could step in his shoes for a day, and then you may not say that. But, but my point is, is there's opposition. And so when he comes back, you know, one of the things that I, I've just been praying, I believe is, is coming. Uh, understand, Tony's not going anywhere. He's not, he's not leaving, I promise you. He's coming back, and he's going to come back uh, with just some insight. And there may be, there, you know, there possibly could be some change in the culture of what's going on around here. We don't really like change. But as God burdens our pastor, what we want to do is we want to be, we want to come alongside him. We want to encourage him. We want to, we want to walk with him in the direction that he's leading us. And so uh, we don't want to be the opposition in the room. So for us, we need to understand that opposition is part of the Christian life. Opposition is part of the Christian life. It is a part of ministry. We need to expect it. We need to not take it personal when it comes our way. We need to respond to it in obedience and don't react to the opposition. Because when we do that, we begin to bow to that instead of our Lord. And we need to be reminded of verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God's name is too great. God's name is too great, and the work that he's called us to is too meaningful. And, and we, need to, we need to realize that Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. But God's called us to be in the game, in the game. 
And if you belong to the Lord, then he's got an assignment and a mission for you. And so what some of us need to do, maybe for the first time ever, is report for duty. Is report for duty. And maybe we've been too scared or too worried about what the opposition might look like. Or I'm just telling you, I'm going to go back to what I just said, that his name is too great and the work that he's called us to is too meaningful. It's too meaningful. Opposition will come. Guaranteed. But guess what? Unlike uh, Denver and Carolina, who are nervous right now, they, they put in all the work, they prepared, they planned. But when they step out on the field this evening, they don't know who's going to win the game. They have no clue. Now, they may think they're going to win, but somebody's going to walk off that. They both may think they're going to win, but at the end of the day, somebody's going to walk off that field uh, having lost. Child of God, we win. We win. We win. And so whatever opposition we face, it is momentary. It is momentary. We should expect it when, our come, when it comes our way. You carry the name of Christ, so don't take it personal. It's an attack on him, and he's going to fight the battle the way he sees to fight the battle. And what we're going to do is we're going to respond in obedience and knowing that at the end of the day, when we take our final breath, we win. We win. The credits will, will roll, and uh, we win. So let's stand. Let me, let me pray as we kind of close things out.